I was part of, a, part of an interesting group a few years ago. It was a group made up equally of Muslims, Jews, and Christians, like four or five of each. And we got together, there's a number of like people that are leaders in these faith communities. And we got together and we all had a few hundred bucks and we threw it in a pot and we had a goal. And the goal was take this money and come to a consensus to give this money to an organization that's doing good in the Middle East. All of these groups, Muslims, Jews, and Christians, tend to see the Middle East from different perspectives. So like getting you to agree on something that's like a common good, that ain't an easy task to do. So we spent six months. We spent six months. And the first four months, we'd meet once, maybe sometimes twice a month. The first four months, were, were, we didn't talk about what we should do with the money at all. What we talked about is, who are you? Who are you? Who am I? What do you believe in? We're, we're trying to build trust and understand one another and listen to, to, to differences. And they had one of the practices that they had us do in this group was a, kind of a simple thing. At first, I thought it was like kind of childish. They gave us a mask, that, and it was white, like this mask. And they said, okay, what we want you to do is put on the outside of this mask how people perceive you. And how people see you. And then on the inside of this mask, show, show who you are. De depict who you are and what, what, what you have going on inside of you. So I'm like kind of artistically like, ah, ah. I, mine was not good, all right? It's thrown away. But as we went around the circle, this woman shared, this Muslim woman shared, who wore the headdress, and, and she said, said, well, here's, here's my mask. And it was kind of, had this camo, like sort of militant, military look on it. And she said, I walk through the streets of Boulder, and I feel like people are afraid that I've got my headdress on, and, and then she has all these news, you know, CNN and ABC and Fox. And she said the, the news outlets, what they've shared and sent some horrible things that have happened, but that people are afraid of Muslims. And they, I walk into a store, and because I'm wearing what I wear for my religion, people think, I'm gonna, is, am I going to blow myself up? Am I going to shoot somebody? He said, and this is how I feel that people perceive me. And then she said, but, but who I am, that, that nobody then takes the time to ask, like, I, and she, she said, I, she's artistic, you can tell just from like the mask, she says, I'm artistic, and my family, I love my kids so much, and I so want them to have a better upbringing and better opportunities than what I've had. I so hunger for peace in the world and trying to figure out reconciliation and listen to one another and hear from one another. And she, she, she wrote all of these, she, she had an American flag, she said, I'm so grateful for America. 
and, and what, the, what this country has given to me and, and a refuge and raising my family here. And she shared this mask and I, God like, God like got me with some of my own prejudices and, and to just listen to the point where afterwards I, I went up and I said, hey, that was powerful to me. Could I have your mask? I, I want to remember it. And so this mask sits in my office. And, and for me, just sometimes a reminder in all the different ways I could maybe have prejudices or make assumptions towards people and even people who are different than me. And, and, and it challenges me. But the truth is that these masks, some, some things are perceptions put on us. Oh, what a white man is going to believe or do or act like, or a woman, or a person of color, or of ethnicity, or economic status. We have all of these different social pressures, but the truth is many of us create our own facade. We project an image on the outside that may be different than what is really going on on the inside. I have gotten so tired, I just don't do it anymore, of social media. I'm like, I, I'm like, oh, I look, man, this person's like doing awesome. And look at their grand adventures and look at their awesome marriage. And then we have coffee and I'm like, man, looks like life's going great. No, it sucks. What? No, the marriage is really struggling. What? How, why are we projecting this thing on the outside that's totally different than what's going on on the inside? And we do this all over the place. I mean, when we see one another and we share information, how's life going? Oh, good. And we pick certain things, right? We cherry pick. Let me tell you about this good part or this shiny thing and tell you about my life. Or we just spin the truth. Or sometimes we don't even tell the truth. Yesterday I had lunch. Mel and I had lunch with some, some good friends. We had like a three-hour lunch. Three-hour lunch, and it was, we had this great conversation with these really, and, and there were parts of the conversation, if you would have just dropped in out of the sky, and you're like, dude, their life is great, because we're like excited for each other about certain aspects of life and elements of life, and had you dropped in at other places, you're like, it's a mess, or they're really worried, and it, was, it just, I left there saying like, Lord, thank you for the ability to have people and friends I can sit with, that we can celebrate joys together and also share hardships and anxieties and worries. Because I think we all long for that. We all long for that. And we were not hiding in that lunch. And we weren't like judging, oh, uh, uh. we weren't like comparing, well, my kids are doing better than your kids. Just like none of that. None of that. So I have, I have some questions, and I want you to think about this for a minute. Why do we present an image on the outside that's different than what's going on on the inside? I mean, there's probably a hundred. Hey, this is, to think to yourself, it's not talk aloud yet, Mom. <laughs> Which I can only say that to John Abels, because he's the... No, I, 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 want, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to think about this just for a minute, and then 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some feedback, but we're going to do it even a little differently. Why are we afraid to be vulnerable? Yeah, because we might talk up in a, in a service and uh, the pastor yells at us, right? Why are we afraid to be vulnerable? And what does a lack of transparency or honesty cost us in relationships? Okay, just like there's 20 answers to each of these questions. Now what we're going to do and you guys are so good at this, even though it's mildly uncomfortable. And it's even more uncomfortable for some of us than others, and we recognize that. We're going to talk about this in groups. I'm going to ask you to, oh, yes, oh. All of a sudden, 18 people run to the restroom. Um, hey, listen, if you don't want to speak, don't speak. This is a room of freedom and not forced anything, right? And we won't do that. This is also a room where we say, we're about relationships, and we come and engage with one another. So to the levels that are appropriate and that you feel safe, I want to invite you to turn around. We're going to take, like, take two or three minutes on each of these. And if you don't want to talk at all, you don't have to talk. If you want to talk a lot, please don't talk the whole time. That's weird. <laughs> all right? But... Meet some of these people around, and then just share. What are some thoughts about, and, and let's just start with this first question. Why do we present an image? Why? And there can be a hundred reasons for this. So you guys got it? We're going to take, and if you're online, um, if you're with people, turn around and talk to your family or the people you're with, and uh, if you're listening to this later, talk to yourself. Or just fast forward 10 minutes and catch up. All right, let's do it. Let's do it, you guys.
All right, if you're not, you can start going to that second question. All right, hit that last one. What does it cost us? What's a lack of transparency or honesty cost? All right, about one more minute and then we're going to wrap it. All right. <laughs> well done. Well done.
So we're in this series called Wholehearted. Uh, it's saying an integrated. What's an integrated and mature faith? What's it look like? And, and we're kind of in this section of, of this series, we're talking about hiding. And last week we talked about hiding from God and not having to do that, being free from it. This week we're talking about hiding from one another and how Jesus frees us from that. And next week, we're going to talk about hiding from ourselves. In Genesis, we read last week that in the fall, when sin entered the world, when things went away that they were not intended or created to go, that, that the first thing humanity did, Adam and Eve hid from God. He comes walking in the cool of the morning, remember that? And where are you? Hiding. Because we're afraid. They did something else. Before God showed up, you remember what they did? They took a fig leaf and they covered their, yes, yeah, selves, <laughs> private parts, maybe a lot of parts. The first thing they did is they started to cover up, hide from one another. This morning we're going to talk about the fig leaf. We're going to talk about the mask, what we do to conceal to cover up, and we're going to see how followers of Jesus are called to live differently, and that Jesus has freed us from needing to cover up and to hide from one another. The main scriptures we're going to be sitting in, so if you have a Bible or have a pen, uh, we encourage everyone, we come in saying, God, we want to hear from you as we open up your word, and so speak to us and speak into our lives. Uh, we have Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, you can keep it if you want it. Uh, also, I know many of us on our phones, but 2 Corinthians, I'm in a section really from chapter 10 to 12, so it's three chapters, and, and I'm going to give you kind of an overview. We'll land in chapter 12, but I'm going to give you an overview here. What's going on is Paul is the guy who wrote this letter to the people in Corinth, the Corinthians, and Paul had helped start a church there. And he's writing back, helping them kind of be wholehearted to have a mature faith, to walk it out and to grow in this newfound faith in Jesus. But there, there's something that's been going on and that false teachers have come in. Other people have come into this church while Paul's been gone and, and starting to teach some weird things. They're masquerading as apostles. And they're leading people astray and away from the truth and in doing this, and the way that they're doing this, is they're using a bunch of false qualifications. They're saying, oh, we are very wise. You should follow us. We, we, have, we have the right resume. You should listen to us. They're trying to impress people with, with this inflated, inflated resume and trying to demean Paul. Saying, oh, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so these chapters, 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12, are this masterful interplay of Paul dismantling their claims by showing his superiority, while at the same time dismissing how ridiculous it is to play the game of superiority. He, he reminds them, there's a verse in chapter 10, he said, listen, remember, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And then he goes on to say, but uh, if you want to wage war that way, let's do it. I'm in. 
Let me read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is, this, look at what's happening to me. I'm getting old or I have to do that. Some of you guys are like, man, you're getting old. Some of you guys are like, you child. Okay, so Paul's like, you want to play the game? That game's dumb. It's not how I fight. You want to fight that way? Let's fight. Chapter 11, starting in verse uh, 20, 21, he said, listen, what, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, he's like, man, these people are boasting, these false teachers are boasting, if they want to dare, and then he says, oh man, I'm speaking like a fool. Okay, I also dare to boast about that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then look what he says. This is in the Bible. Paul says this in the Bible. I am out of my mind to talk like this. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face a daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. You want to play that game? Boom. Like, who are these people that are trying to tell you they're all that? You want to play that game? He wins. But he doesn't end there. He's like, okay, if we have to play the qualification games, I'll do it. But let me show you more. Let me show you a better way. And then Paul is honest. And he gets vulnerable. And he speaks to the power of vulnerability. Go over one more chapter. Chapter 12. Verses 7 through 10. And this is where we're going to sit. Paul says to this church that he loves... And he's trying to lead well. He said, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know what the thorn was. Was it a physical ailment? Some repeating sin? A really difficult person? A continual temptation was a thorn physical, emotional, spiritual. You just struggle with like an insecurity or a self-doubt. We don't know. We do not know what this thorn in Paul's flesh, this messenger from Satan that keeps him from being conceited, 
but, but, but we do know this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I mean, he so longs for God to heal him. God, remove this struggle from me. Remove this difficulty from my life. And this is the Apostle Paul, writer of over half the New Testament. God does miracles through this man. I mean, shouldn't God answer his prayers for himself? And what a great picture of what we talked like last week of being honest with God. And you know, Paul, it's not like three times I said, hey, Lord, could you take it away? No. Lord, could you take it away? No. I mean, like, I'm sure there was like deep, like fasting. Did he fast for a week? Was he on his face and pouring it out in the middle of the night? You guys know this kind of stuff where you're wrenched. Lord, why? But look what God says. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is sufficient. His love for us is not earned through our achievements and therefore cannot be lost through our failures. I'm going to say that again. Because there's a number of us who actually might believe that, but you don't believe that. God's love for us is not earned by our achievements and therefore cannot be lost through our failures. Your identity in Jesus was given through God's initiative. It is not what you did for yourself. It's what God did for you. That's why the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No matter your status, your race, your education, your reputation, your income, your achievements, or your failures. God loves you. And he has given you life in Christ, not counting your sins against you. You are redeemed. You are bought back. You are adopted. You cannot lose what you did not earn. And you cannot earn what was given to you. It is God's grace and it is sufficient. It is life. And so, so we do not need to play the comparison game. And you can take off the fig leaf of your hiding and your posturing. We are set free from that game. We do not play as the world plays. Why? And why do we not? Because our identity is in him and in this truth, this truth that for his power is made perfect in weakness. I mean, way before Brene Brown, and I love Brene Brown, like, and all her materials are like great, and a lot of us have read her, but before that, God shows us that his power comes through our weakness, through a vulnerability. I mean, we all know how impressive it is when someone is strong enough to be weak, when they are secure enough to be vulnerable, when they're genuine enough to take off the mask. 
to remove the fig leaf. God's power, his saving grace is displayed when his people are willing to be vulnerable and to be honest. And I am so drawn to people whose identity in Christ gives them the power to be weak. It is so refreshing to be around people who do not play the world's games. And friends, I have story after story of person after person in this church who does just that. You you have the strength of character and authenticity of faith to be genuine. You got to know that I am committed as your pastor to being honest with you. The truth is, I struggle. There are many times that I feel inadequate in my faith. But my faith isn't built on my adequacy. There are times I don't, I simply just do not have the capacity to love well. I struggle uh, with an imposter voice. Like, Matt, you don't have what it's needed to really lead this church. To be your pastor. I'm not the perfect, uh, I'm not the perfect husband. I'm not the perfect dad. I'm not the perfect son. If I give Judy enough fresh vegetables, she will say I'm the perfect son-in-law, right? (laughs) Amen. I make mistakes. Sometimes I don't even see the mistakes I make, which make the mistakes worse. Does it cause me to just be insecure? Does it cause me to put a big fig leaf on and present some image better than what's true or what's honest? Does it cause me to wrap that fig leaf around my shame or embarrassment? Or is God's power made perfect through my weakness? Because what I want, honestly what I want is not for you to be impressed with me. I don't need your validation. Really what I want is for you to be impressed with God and us to be impressed with God. And and that even on a Sunday when we leave here, I think it's not a very good Sunday. And I'm going to challenge you on this. It's, It's a mediocre Sunday when you leave and be like, that sermon was great. Isn't, you know, isn't Michelle great? Isn't Paul great? Isn't Matt great? When you leave and you're like, man, those new worship leaders, aren't they awesome? That's a mediocre Sunday. When you leave here and you say, isn't God wonderful? That's a great Sunday. That we don't, yeah, that we don't have to play the game. That the truth of who he is way surpasses 
anything else. Anything else. Therefore I will boast, Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God's power is given a unique conduit when his people are strong enough to be weak, vulnerable, honest, just authentic. Friends, the Bible does not hide the weaknesses of its heroes. Why would we? Pete Pete Scazzaro has this in one of his teachings, has this quote. Listen to this. Yet the Bible does not spin the flaws and weaknesses of its heroes. Abraham lied. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Peter rebuked God. Noah got passed out drunk. Jonah was a racist. Jacob lied. John Mark deserted his friend Paul. Elijah burned out. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Thomas doubted, and all these people send the same message, that every human being on earth, regardless of their gifts and their strengths, is weak and vulnerable and dependent. That is why for Christ's sake, Paul finishes, and he says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That is a better way. God, we do not have to hide. We don't have to play that game. And the truth is, the closer we get to God, the more we remove our facades with one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Galatians 6, 2, carry one another's burdens. Delighting in weakness creates the community and the friendships for which we all desire. I want good friends, but I'm not going to share what's really going on. Ain't, 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 ain't working. Um, this morning... We have people with some really good style. This morning we have a number of people in Hawaiian shirts um, in our church. These people are life group leaders or in life groups. I I was intentional with what we did this morning. I, I I wanted us to see, I want us to have an experience of, we use language here saying, um, we, we, rows, we meet in rows and circles. So this morning we meet in rows, and you're, I'm up here talking, and we're learning and engaging and reading scripture together, but we say, man, we also, we grow in circles, and when we circle up and are able to talk and get to know one another and share ideas and talk through things, we say, man, the best way for circles in our church is through life groups, small groups of people who commit weekly or every other week to meeting and sharing life together. I want to encourage you today, if you're not in a life group, to consider it. I want to just tell you, do it. Go and talk to some of these people with Hawaiian shirts. Say, hey, you look like a halfway decent person. What's the life group you're a part of? Or go to the board out there, and we've got a board that lists all the life groups. Or go to the website 
and click ministries, adult ministries, life groups, and there's a list of all them. You could just email. Hey, I see there's that men's group on Wednesdays. What do you guys do? I think I might want to check it out or that young adults group or whatever. There's 165 people in our church in life groups. I would love to see it grow to 200 like this fall. Maybe you're new here and checking the church out. I really encourage you to get into a life group. Maybe you're new here or you're just someone who's been here a while. I think maybe it's time we start one because you're just that kind of a person. Maybe you're a young person. Like we've got a bunch of 19, 20, 21, 22 year old people who've been coming to the church. Y'all need a life group. I got some ideas. Uh, Paul Holmberg is not here. He took his son. They took Paul and Michelle, took Noah to college uh, this weekend, so they're not here this morning. But Paul really heads up for our church to life groups. Talk to him at any time. He does training, he can train people to be leaders. Helps navigate the reality of relationships that sometimes get messy. Uh-huh. But friends, it's not just about being in a life group. Because you could meet in a life group and it could be lame. Some of us have had those. It's about being strong enough to be authentic in a life group and leaning in. So my challenge for this week just in relationships in general, as you've sat in this morning and some of the content and what God was maybe saying, I, I, I challenge you in your relationships, go to where you're comfortable and take one little step further, okay? Because we're safe in the Lord. We don't have to hide from one another. Instead of saying, yeah, my job's really hard, say, you know what, I'm afraid I'm afraid I might not get the deal. I'm afraid I can't, can't handle the promotion I received. I might not be able to do it. Um, can you see the difference between that? Instead of saying, yeah, we're struggling in, in parenting. That's true. That's real, maybe. Say, you know what? I'm continuing. There was some dysfunction in my family growing up, and what's scaring me is I'm, I'm starting to, like, repeat it, and I don't know how to stop it. Be honest. Maybe say, hey, my, my faith, yeah, it's just kind of mediocre right now. That's honest. Take another step. Honestly, I'm doubting God. I'm having a hard time even believing in Him or in prayer right now. See how that's another step? You could take another step. God's grace is sufficient. May we be secure and may we be secure enough in what God says so that we can show up, take off the fig leaf and just be real. Celebrate with one another, cry with one another. Not need to hide. We do not need to hide. So we're going to worship out of this. We're going to worship the God who who has set us free. Lord, that, uh, let's stand up even. Let me pray over us and then we'll move into. Hmm. All right, Lord, you, I thank you for this morning, for different things. 
And even church, I challenge, what, what was spoken? What's your thing this morning? Where were you challenged? Where were you encouraged? Where were you convicted? Lord, do we trust you enough and the truth of who we are in you and your gospel, your good news, that we are yours. Like what Shelley spoke about in communion. Man, for the joy set before you, God, you, we are your joy. And in that, there's so much freedom. Thank you, Father, for setting us free from needing to hide from one another. And help us continue to grow in that and lean into that. We love you. Mm, receive our worship. Amen.